Welcome to UX Soup, a short form podcast where we go beyond the buzzwords to look at the real end user perspective on tech developments in the home, in the car, and on the go. UX Soup is sponsored by Strategy Analytics, celebrating its 25th year providing clients with research, insights, and expertise. I'm Derek Vita. Lisa is off today, but I'm joined by my co host, Chris Schreiner. Hello, everyone. Today, we're discussing the user experience of hearables. Hearables are wearables that go in the ear, and they can be designed for multiple purposes. Chris and his team have been doing some very compelling research on this lately, so I'm going to pepper Chris with questions about this. The first question is this, Chris. What's the difference between a hearable and a hearing aid? <laughs> the difference is a hearing aid has one purpose, and that is to amplify the sound coming in so that the person can hear it. Hearables, these a very basic term, they're like smart earbuds. So they have multiple purposes. They could be used for communication. They could certainly, you know, hook up via Bluetooth to your phone for phone calls or music, but they have additional capabilities. And whether that's features such as translation or whether it's additional sensors that could be used to enable features such as fitness tracking or medical sensors. That's interesting. So it's not necessarily for just things that would require a speaker, these sensors in the ear could provide a number of other benefits as well. So I'm curious if you can provide some examples of products that are currently out there and some of your quick thoughts on what's good and bad about the user experience of each. There are some hearables out there, like I mentioned, that can have sensors for fitness tracking. There's a Jabra Sport Life that can measure your heart rate, that can measure your rate of oxygen consumption as you're out jogging. Can certainly have heart rate on your smartwatch, but this is just another way of getting that information. Some other products that we've seen and used, uh, there are ones that are more like hearing aids. There's a product called Be Here Access by Wear In Here. That is kind of a smart hearing aid. So a typical hearing aid will just amplify whatever sound it hears. This one has a little more intelligence behind it. So it has different settings for if you're in a crowded restaurant or if you're watching television and wanting a more directional sound. So it's, it's almost like a hearing aid on steroids that you can really personalize it for yourself for whatever situation you find yourself in. And then there's the other group that is more around translation so these are products like a, a Time Kettle M2 or Waverly Labs Ambassador. Those products are taking sound in and translating it into your language so that you can talk, for instance, if you're traveling to a different country or if you're at university in a country and, and the professor is speaking a different language, you can sit there and listen to them and have it be translated automatically. Kind of like the, the Babel fish from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm curious to know a little bit more about the smart hearing aid, like with Be Here Access, because it seems like the segment that would get the most benefit out of that tends to be a segment that is not necessarily tech savvy. So can you walk me through how some of those smart hearing aids are set up so that they can provide max value to the folks who need them most? So what the Be Here Access does, it does a very good job of leading the consumer through the process of setting it up. The first thing that it does is it does a little hearing test on you to see exactly what your 
hearing capabilities are. What is the visual asset that goes along with this? Is it a mobile app that's sitting right in front? Or is there some other way that is used to calibrate? It, it is a mobile app. The, the out-of-the-box experience is you have to pair this with your phone, which is going to be the first barrier. And as we all know, with Bluetooth and the issues with Bluetooth, it's not always very user-friendly. <laughs> We've gotten better over the years at understanding how to pair things, but there are still a lot of issues that crop up. This one, when we looked at it, always seemed to pair fine. There weren't, there weren't those kinds of issues with that. But then once you do that, it walks you through this hearing test. It sets these default levels for you. It's, it walks you through the process of how to use it in a way that is best suited for that kind of population. And while it's probably not 100% there, it is, it is still at least a very good step in that direction. The biggest issue that I think that we see with the, the Be Here Access in particular is the form factor. So if you think of an earbud or something like that, or a hearing aid, they've tried to design hearing aids to be less visible, to hide it, because you might not want to let other people know or that you have a hearing aid. But the Be Here Access, it's a, it wraps around your neck and then has wires that go up to the earbuds that you put in your ear. So it's very difficult to, or impossible to hide this. You know that you're wearing it and everybody else around you knows that you're wearing it. So by that same token, I wanted to talk about what a setup process looks like for some of the interpretation use cases as well. Is it a similar sort of thing where, so the Time Kettle M2 or the Ambassador, are those paired to a mobile device or could they be paired to an iPad or something like that to aid with setup? Those also need to be paired to some sort of mobile device, whether it be a tablet or a phone. So the Waverly Labs Ambassador is designed for an iPhone or iPad, so it works better on those. Now, the Time Kettle M2 is set up to provide some offline translation, which is uh, definitely a positive in that. So the Time Kettle 2 is made by a company out of Shenzhen, China. So there are some of those kinds of translation issues or wording issues that made it a little more awkward to set up. Right. Incidentally, the translation ones were ones that we had the most trouble with Bluetooth with. Uh, we still can't get uh, an iPad to ever recognize in the app that the ambassador translator is available. If you go to the settings, the iPad settings, it sees it. But within the app, it still doesn't see it until you've set it up outside. So there are still those kinds of technical issues that are going to be barriers. So it sounds like the, the biggest challenge to advancing some of these very impressive use cases or hearables is getting past these challenges and setup. Yes, and that's something that we've had to deal with across all of the different areas that we cover. <laughs> Anytime we're trying to use Bluetooth to set something up, we keep running into issues. And, and like I said, consumers are getting better at it, but it's still a barrier for certain populations. And then once we get past the setup issue, then we have the actual usage of these and how well they function for their dedicated use cases. Now, if we're looking at the Be Here Access. Now, I'm not someone that has to wear a hearing aid yet, 
But one thing that I've found in talking with those that do and that I try notice when I put it on myself is that the first impact that something, a device like this has is that you talk quieter. <laughs> if you're somebody with a booming voice and you put a hearing aid in or you put this be here access on, you immediately start to talk in a much calmer way. I think one of the difficulties with it is in the fine tuning element. So that initial setup and that initial hearing test is very important because that sets the default. And if you're somebody that might not be able to go through or doesn't want to go through personalization and fine tuning, they just want to put it on and have it work. And something happens in that test where maybe you were very conservative in your answers about when you hear the tone coming in and the thing is set up in a way that's not optimal for you, that's going to be a main cause of abandonment. So when we had a, a few others tried out, it did work pretty well, but th for some of the participants we had, they complained that it was picking up and amplifying too much ambient noise. So it would be able to pick up other people as well, and algorithms for something like this should be fine-tuned to focus on speech. In this case, there was so much ambient noise that it got to be a little bit of an issue for some. With the translation ones that we looked at, it was a bit varied. So if you're getting one of the translation hearables and expecting to be able to watch a foreign language movie or go out with a group of people that speak a different language and be able to catch up and participate in that, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Are they slower? Do they require full-time connectivity? Some of them do, uh, in which case you've got the latency of going out to the server and coming back to get the response. So it waits until the phrase is completed, processes it, says, okay, that was an utterance in this language that I'm looking for, sends it out, comes back, a couple seconds later, you get the translation. So it's good for use cases like if you're in a taxi or if you're asking for directions. But in more dynamic situations or where there is a lot of speech going on, they don't work very well. The other element of these that is a bit of a barrier with the time kettle ones in particular, so these are in-ear buds, they offer real-time person-to-person translation so that the person that you're speaking to could hear you in their native language, you hear them in your native language, but you have to give them an earbud. You're each sitting there with an earbud in your ear. Right. So if I'm a taxi driver, somebody on the street, and someone says, hey, could you put this earbud in your ear so I could talk to you? <laughs> <laughs> Even if I'm your friend, I might not want to put your earbud in my ear. <laughs> so that, that, that's another barrier in, in that element. So we talked a bit about some of the challenges with connectivity. Another challenge that I foresee here is integration with other sensors and features, which can be used for a variety of, of purposes. Can you speak to some of the challenges in integrating hearables to a broader device ecosystem. Yeah, that certainly is an issue. And it's not just one for hearables. It's, it's for any device, any sensor that is connecting to other devices, either within or outside 
its ecosystem. It's been something that's been studied for a long time. We're still running into issues with it. We see it as big barriers in, in various verticals, and it's something that we're actually writing a report on now as well. But if you have, for instance, uh, one of the sporting fitness hearables that's getting your heart rate, and you have a smartwatch that's getting your heart rate, and they're both connected to your phone, you've got to be able to manage the different data sources that you're getting. And you have to understand which one is going to be most accurate, which one should you choose to use and pass on for whatever other further calculations that you have. So that it's a plus in that you have these multiple sources of the same information, but you've got to be able to decide which one you're going to use. If we're talking about different features or across different features, let's throw in a, a car use case. So let's say my car is trying to monitor whether I am incapacitated while driving. If I've suffered a heart attack or I'm having a blood pressure spike or something else that would suggest that as a driver, I'm in trouble. Well, you can have multiple data sources providing this to you. I could have, uh, I could have the watch on my wrist. I could have a, a sensor in the seatbelt or uh, a driver camera monitoring thing. But all of those things might not be available at once. So when we're designing algorithms to determine what's, what should happen or what is, is happening at that particular moment, it's very difficult to try and design these when you have data streams that may or may not be there at any given point in time. To be able to create an algorithm and design for all of these different potential combinations of data sources. And that's where we see in a lot of these smart art AI-like features where those things tend to go awry because uh, those are only as good as the weakest data link. Absolutely. So it seems like for all of the benefits that hearables can provide in a number of different use cases, it still runs into a lot of the same walls that we find in other verticals in medical and automotive and so on, where it's really dependent on how it's integrated and how it's connected with the rest of the ecosystem. You really yeah. need a way to connect whatever it is to a visual asset, to audible assets, to whatever, in a way that makes sense for that particular segment that you were designing for. Absolutely. And this is going to be very important for this sector because this one is, is poised for growth. If you think about earbuds and what we currently use them for and what other functionality feature sensors that could be put in that are not yet, we're expecting that to happen very soon. Very good. Time once again for our regular segment called Condensed Soup. Condensed Soup. This week on Condensed Soup, we're talking about one of the key use cases for hearables, which is live translations. Our team has been privileged to be able to travel around the world to interface with clients and do research with clients in a number of different environments. And one of the things that often comes up is a language barrier. And so one of the use cases that's most intriguing for me for hearables is this ability to live translate. So for Condensed Soup this week, let's talk best slash worst experience with translations or encountering that language barrier. For me, my best experience wasn't with a hearable. It was just with my phone. Uh, I was in a taxi in Rome. 
and the driver, it was actually his phone, he had it handy. He drove a lot of English-speaking people around, and I got in the car. He realized I didn't speak Italian, so he grabbed his phone, pointed to it, handed it to me. I typed. He typed safely at stop signs when we were stuck in traffic, and we had a nice Google Translate conversation about where I should be going to, what I should be going to see in Rome and where I should eat and just the joys of driving around a bunch of foreigners all day long. Uh, it was a, it was a very cool conversation to have and it was all done by text. Wow. That's extremely impressive. Actually, the fact that he could uh, pass a device back and forth in Rome traffic is yes. all the more impressive. <laughs> it, it was rush hour at the time. Wow. For me, whenever anybody asks about a language barrier situation that has come up and uh, how I could have used technology to solve it, the first thing that I think of is when I was in Scotland and I flew into an airport in Glasgow first thing in the morning and all I wanted was a tea to just kind of get me through the rest of the day. And I literally could not understand the person who was trying to deliver the tea to me. She had all sorts of other follow-up questions about my order. And I love Scotland to death, but I could not understand a single <laughs> word that this person was saying. Chris, do hearables account for uh, <laughs> dialect to dialect translations? Uh, I have not seen ones that do. I've seen ones that do, uh, that will use British English or US English, but not particular dialects. No, that's that's definitely one thing that needs to improve. That's a shame. If any of you listening to this podcast uh, have any insight into dialect-to-dialect translations, please email us at uxsoup at strategyanalytics.com. We'd love to hear your story because it is a use case that I would like to hear more about. For now, thanks very much for joining us. A reminder that UX Soup is presented as always by Strategy Analytics. Check out our latest user-focused insights on a variety of topics by visiting sa-ux. Please also visit ux-soup.com to check out our latest episodes of our podcast, subscribe on your preferred podcast platform, or connect with Lisa, Chris, or myself on LinkedIn or Twitter. Thanks again. Bye for now.